0: Everybody and welcome back to the Feeling Seen podcast, the podcast that talks about the movies that make us feel seen. My co-host for today is someone who, if you're a fan of films, if you're a fan of genre, regardless of when you came into experiencing film, if sometime in the past twenty years you could have enjoyed one or multiple different entries from this filmmaker that have taken you to wildly different places, explored wildly different themes and textures. Maybe you are a fan of the earlier DIY stuff, maybe you liked Trigger Man, maybe you liked The Roost, maybe you came into it in that early 2010s when indie horror was really taking off with that VHS collective of filmmakers and you were like, you know what, The Innkeepers and uh, House of the Devil are really my jam. Maybe you've caught a number of his entries of television that he has directed over the years. And now in 2022, maybe you have watched one or two of the burgeoning X trilogy, First X, Now Pearl that's coming out. Ty West, what else do the people need to know about you before we get started in our conversation?
1: Well, that was quite a bit. <laughs> so, other than that, um, I'm sitting here with my dog. Great. I'm um, hoping that I, you know, tell her something new that she doesn't know already. So, um, I'm excited to
0: talk. That is my whole job. So I I'm this is for your dog. This episode is for your dog and keeping her compelled and entertained because she's seen a lot today. And this year, I, I'm sure we have a dog on the Zoom, everybody. The dog is in a bone collar. The dog is small and black and it is adorable. And oh, and I do have to say in a valley of violence. Excellent movie. I, if, you, if you are a fan of westerns, but you haven't really sampled, you're more a fan of the spaghettis, the classics, and you haven't sampled too many modern westerns, In a Valley of Violence is an excellent film as well.
1: I will cover my dog's ears for that one. <laughs> yeah.
0: I'm sorry. I'm sorry, dog. In the Valley of Violence exists in the John Wick tradition of protect your pets. Uh, I guess I will start with a place where we have a lot in common, which is when did you come to recognize that Mia Goth is the star that she is and realize that you needed to do something about that?
1: Um, I had seen her in uh, probably most of the movies that she'd been in, Mm -hmm. and I thought she was great. And then when, when X came about and we were looking to cast the movie, we were looking at casting Maxine as the first role. And my goal was always to find someone to play Maxine and Pearl to be the same person. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if I could find that, but that was the hope. And, you know, you go out to actors, and I, she was on my list of people I was interested in for Maxine. And she was the second person that I met. And we talked on Zoom for an hour, maybe two hours. And she totally got the movie. And in that conversation, I said, well, my goal would be if you played Maxine, that you also play Pearl. Mm-hmm. And she kind of stopped talking, and she was like, my mind is blown. <laughs> I could kill that. And her confidence in her reaction to the excitement of doing it was very inspiring and was very like on brand for Maxine in anyway. and <laughs> and
0: me uh, a goth, frankly,
1: yeah, and i just I just believed her. Mm-hmm. And I mean, at the risk of sounding like terribly corny, like it's a little bit of that like x factor thing where just after talking to for an hour, I was just like, yeah, I can see you doing this, and I believe you're gonna work as hard as possible to do this. And she only, she only has one speed. It's like pedal to the floor. So, you know, she gives 110 percent at everything. And I just was like, you are a good person because you're very talented and you're going to be great in this movie. But you're also going to be a great collaborator because I know that you're you'll like die before it's bad. Mm-hmm. And so um, after that meeting which was my second meeting, I just called everybody and said, like, we're done.
0: <laughs> we got it. We're off and running. Well, that's something you've obviously worked very extensively in the smaller budget space. And what have you learned about what you need from your collaborators to get the arduous process of making a small movie, an independent movie done where you're like, I'm talking to people. I'm on a Zoom. I'm on a call. we're We're out to coffee. This is this is what I need from you to know that we can go through this. We can live through this together.
1: You know, the more you do it, the more you get a sense of people and the more you get a sense of the people that you that you kind of get along with and work with. For me, first and foremost, it's very important that people understand the movie, Mm -hmm. that they like the script, they understand the script, they get what I'm going for, not just story wise, but also like cinematically and visually. And they they can they can see the movie that I'm making, maybe not quite as much as I can, but they're not like wildly off base Mm -hmm. because you could write a really great role and a lot of people would want to do it, but they may not know the movie they're in. Mm And people need to know the movie they're in because if they do, then you can collaborate with them and you can have a shorthand. And shorthand is very important because you never have enough time on movies and everything goes wrong. (laughs) And you have to brace yourself for like, it just being like a very stressful, chaotic situation when making a movie, no matter how prepared you are. Mm -hmm. And you want the people next to you to be able to be on the same mission with you. And you want them to to know how to get there with like the least amount of complication as possible. Mm -hmm. And you also want someone like, frankly, who you were would like to hang out with because there could be someone that's incredible, but it's just pulling teeth, being with them because your personalities are just so different. Mm-hmm. And that's not what life's too short to do that because, you know, so you just want someone for me anyway. I just want to work with somebody that gets what we're doing and is a very pleasant, fun person who we can laugh and have a good time and then try to make something where we challenge ourselves in, in a very you know, arduous, difficult manner. Mm-hmm. And 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 Mia certainly is the perfect example of that.
0: I, uh, I yeah, I was reading a, a quote from yours, just talking about movie making generally. This was, you were saying, <laughs> making a movie is really traumatic. It's a series of mistakes and failures that you're desperately trying to hold off and they keep encroaching upon you. And that reminded me of another filmmaker uh, told me once that, while he was on set of a movie that he was making that he loves, loves the final outcome, loved making, it was very passionate about, it It was a generally very positive experience, and he said every morning when he was walking to set after he would get his coffee at the same coffee shop, he would hope to get hit by the bus that crossed at that same time every day. He's like, every day, I'm just hoping for that bus in the morning. And that was a movie he's proud of and had a generally very good experience making.
1: Yeah, checks out. <laughs> That's what it's like. I mean, it's the stakes are very high. It's very unlikely that you would ever make a movie ever. Um, Mm -hmm. The moment that you're finally there to do it, the odds of you making it not very well are also very high. Mm -hmm. And the odds of that being exclusively your fault or the fault of somebody else that then it becomes your fault Mm -hmm. either way is is very daunting and the hours are very intense and it's it's a it look it's not digging ditches there are many harder jobs than making a movie but people do underestimate like the psychological toll that it takes on you trying to organize something that is almost impossible to organize so (laughs) it's really like it's a job for crazy people so (laughs) it's not shocking that you know almost everyone i know who does it is um, nearly crippled by it every time. he's
0: waiting for the bus in the morning.
1: And then there's this miraculous amnesia that comes with <laughs> when you finish That shit. sounds
0: remarkably similar to what I'm told about birth, honestly. I
1: think it probably is like that. I don't, certainly don't know. <laughs> I don't. You know, they say the thing like, your movies are like your babies also, I don't know. But I think, like, <laughs> that, that analogy probably works across the board because there is something that happens. Like, right now, the idea of making movies sounds great. But, like, if you were talking to me on the last day of Shooting Pearl, I was like, get me out of here, you know? <laughs>
0: Well, I think this is a, this is a good segue into the 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 main framework of the conversation because we're we're now going to discuss the most bootstrap of kind of creations born forth from bootstrap methods, which is you brought up Peter Jackson's first feature, Bad Taste. And I wanted to know why that movie resonated with you and how old were you when you saw it? I feel like this is very important.
1: I, I probably saw it when I was fairly young, like, you know, 12 or 13 mm-hmm. or something. Primetime age for, but, for
0: bad taste.
1: Very, very much so. Um, but I don't think I... The point of this conversation was probably when I saw it again mm-hmm. when I was, like, 17, maybe. And that's when it landed on me in such a way that when you asked what kind of movie we should we talk about, it it's from that viewing that 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 I had that reaction to it. And... Really, it's because, I mean, it's a very gross movie. And if you see it when you're 12 years old, it it works very well as a disgusting movie. It's one of the more disgusting movies you could ever see. And it had a great box cover with an alien giving the middle finger. And so very memorable in the video store. But when I became interested in maybe making movies, and I watched that movie, it was the first time in my life I actually could see that a person was making a movie. Mm. And that um, I, because otherwise, like, let's say, like, I loved Raiders of the Lost sure. Ark as a kid but it, as far as I was concerned like Steven Spielberg and that movie were just like birthed into the air like they just up they, the big bang it just existed
0: absolutely from the primordial soup came a Steven Spielberg classic
1: yeah and so I just didn't have any thought that like this was a thing that people did yeah. like I I guess if you asked me I would be like I guess that's what they do but I don't <laughs> um And, you know, I'm from like Wilmington, Delaware, which was not like a filmmaking hub. It is not anywhere near Hollywood or whatever, (laughs) you know, an industry where people tend to know about things. So to me, I saw bad taste and I was like, so the guy who made this wrote it and is directing it and he's playing two different characters in it Mm -hmm. and his friends are in it and they made it on the weekends. And like the camera's clearly just on his car in this (laughs) shot. Okay, you could just do it. Right. And it was like the first time I had a really profound moment where I was like, If you are tenacious enough and and and, in theory talented enough,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you could just make a movie. Uh And that also timed out for me. That like when I was seeing that, there was also the really big like nineteen nineties like independent filmmaking boom Mm -hmm. going on, and those movies obviously did a similar thing, but they didn't do it as clearly to me. I mean, maybe something like Clerks or Pie or something. Right, right. Also a very kind of homegrown movie, but you know, a movie like Clerks or something was still relatively formal in the way it was made, whereas you know, bad taste was really crafty and mm-hmm. how it was done. It was like wacky, and it was like in clerks. You were like, I get it. They're in a store and they're talking, but in like bad taste, it was like, well, how do they have his head open like <laughs> that? If <laughs> I'm not the poor bastard, it's got to clean that up. Jesus, that just got me thinking that, like, you know, this is something I actually could do mm-hmm. because there's someone in New Zealand, a place I never even heard of, sure. doing it all by himself. Mm-hmm. And if that's true, then then i should be able to do this also
0: yeah and this is i mean this is this is this is baby peter jackson like you said playing playing two roles and he's i i guess maybe it's just a conversation with friends where it's like hey guys let's make this movie where new zealand like towns in our country are getting wiped out by an alien invasion that wants to be like i think the motivation is to be like a prevailing multinational corporation <laughs> and like the yeah. other multinational corporations won't know what hit them when these aliens take over and like win the war of capitalism Don't aliens be friendly.
1: There's no glowing fingers on these bastards. We've got a bunch of extraterrestrial psychopaths on our hands. Like a... Like a visit from a planet full of Charlie Mansons. They've wiped out a small town for starters. It's my guess they'll go on to something bigger next time. Christchurch. Wellington.
0: Auckland? Yeah,
1: well, that wouldn't be so bad.
0: And then it becomes like a body horror alien invasion. Also... It's amazing watching it now, seeing what a capable action movie this is.
1: Totally. I mean, it, it's truly, I mean, it, it is a, a movie that was made over the course of many years, but it is the absolute sign of, like, a genius, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's for all that's rough around the edges and silliness mm-hmm. or whatever, the fact that a person did that is, like, there is no one else that could do that. So, years later, when he ends up doing this trilogy of Lord of the Rings, it's not shocking. It seems like it should be mm-hmm. because it's, it's so far removed and so much more professional but it's like he made every prop himself mm-hmm. if you watch like, the making of that came out in the 2000s on the blu-rays and whatever i mean it's like he's he's making the the prosthetics and baking them in his own his mom's oven <laughs> and he's guns out of pieces of metal and drilling them himself i mean he's a genius yeah. and so and not only is he like a genius creatively He's, he's crafty enough to be able to manufacture these sorts of things and to build, to understand how a crane, a camera crane works and go, well, I can build that out of these like ragtag things put together by doing the same thing. I mean, the ingenuity behind it is like jaw dropping. It's like a and genre
0: I, movie, Leonardo da Vinci, just tinkering in his workshop. So.
1: And I, it, that's something that I was like way beyond my ability. But st- I go back to again, some guy in New Zealand. <laughs> By himself, just said, "I can do it," and he did it. And that, for me, was very like liberating because it was it 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 made me realize that like you can do it. Mm-hmm. You might fail at doing it. You might not <laughs> be good at it, but like you can do it.
0: Well, and it, like even watching uh watching your your very first stuff uh like the roost and trigger man, it like you know I asked the question of like you know getting around to the question of like how do how does these things influence work that you made after that? And watching Trigger Man and the Roost, it's like oh, it's right there. Like, Mm -hmm. I I feel like there are there like I can see threads directly to like the way that like follow cam goes around in Trigger Man. And like it's just very much feels like we're over the shoulder of this group of friends in the woods in this in this little location. And then with the squibs and the blood and the brains falling out of heads, I was like, oh, yeah, I I can see how this baked into the DNA.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's something about that. I mean, certainly with those two films, um, you know, the roost was one that. I was very fortunate to meet Larry Fessenden and he said, you know, if if the only thing stopping you from making a movie was a little bit of money, what if I gave you a little bit of money? Yeah, talk
0: about just make it. Larry Fessenden and Glass Eye Picks. Shouts out to Larry Fessenden.
1: Very much so, and so I think, like, I was fortunate to meet him and have that opportunity. And, you know, a lot of people would say that you really want to have the perfect script or the perfect opportunity and you want to wait till you can get, um, you know, a, a big movie together and really make a splash. And that's fine. Mm -hmm. But kind of where I come from and the perspective that I have on things is like, that could be a lot of waiting around that leads up to nothing happening (sighs) and 10 years going by. So I was so grateful for the opportunity that someone would even bet on me, no matter how small it was. And I just felt like, okay, we'll make a movie. And if you try to make a movie and you try to say, every movie I make will be better than the last Mm -hmm. one. And that's the way you look at it. And each one that you make hopefully is better than the last one. Each one you make has its own interesting identifiable things in it. I have always been really charmed by and and intrigued by filmmakers who are um, like prolific and make lots of movies. And so, and when you do that, you know, it does make it difficult to make like a 10 out of 10 every time. (laughs) But but the goal doesn't have to be a 10 out of 10 every time. The goal has to be something interesting every time. and something that you're passionate about every time. And if you only have, in the case of Trigger Man, $15,000 to make a movie, like someone could argue that you shouldn't do it. But I would argue that like, I'm doing it anyway, and (laughs) I hope that you like it. If you don't like it, I'm not going to be offended. If you don't see it, I'm not going to be surprised. But like, I'm going to just keep doing it anyway because I can, Mm -hmm. you know. And I think that it's something that I want to do, and because I want to do it, I will. I will go through the difficult process of doing it, whether it's a fifteen thousand dollar movie or a couple million dollar movie or whatever have you, Mm -hmm. and. They offer different things and they offer different experiences. And and for me and coming up with certainly with Larry, it was always just, you know, we always joked that it was that Glass Eye Picks made like B movies with A ideas.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's Larry with his teeth out and just like giving you full henchmen by the end of that.
1: Very much so. The end of it is a very kind of dirty, hairy chasing. Yeah. That movie was actually particularly also inspired of all things by like at the time, I mean, it, that movie was uh, uh like like very like steeped in realism kind of yes. existential very bare bones what that movie is and which I think is an
0: interesting detail of counter programming to the prevailing wars of like genre specifically at the time where it's it's the remake machine it's the MTVization the Michael Bayization of horror which is something that I absolutely love like I miss the default spectacle mode of the 2000s but something like that at the time was kind of like if you need to seek out something else that is not the Hitcher 2007 or Sorority Row 2006 seven then it, it's kind of of a great little antidote. It's kind of like, if you don't like big superhero movies now, go see Adam Egypt Mortimer's Arch Enemy and give yourself a little different gear.
1: Yeah, I think that's, he was not conscious to me doing it, but I think sure. that's that relevant because I think that it was, you know, if you, let's say the Hitcher remake is coming out, um, whether you like the movie or don't like the movie, if you were going to make a movie like that, you needed access to the machine yep. that is Hollywood and whatever. If you do not have that and you try to imitate that, you are not going to succeed at doing such a thing. So because I had nothing to do with the machine that makes movies like that, I was just over here making what's not that. It wasn't so to be particularly counter-programming, although like perhaps my taste is counter that, but (laughs) sort of like, well, you need all the bells and whistles that come with that. And that's like a a, a different kind of production. And Trigger Man was four of us out in the woods. Mm -hmm. And I think at the time I was also a bit inspired by like, a certain kind of realism in movies, which I'm actually no longer interested, at least it goes cyclical, but at the moment I'm not interested in it at all. Um, And I think like, I really liked uh, Jerry, the movie that Gus Van Sant made like a lot. And uh, that was a movie with a lot of long takes and a lot of like sort of just existential why
0: well and if you're starting to absorb movies when you're like 12 years old say you're watching bad taste and like you said that sprung from the 90s where there's the independent cinema movement also part of that the new queer cinema movement where realism not even anti heroism but just a sort of idea of heroism is not requisite in story um, I can see how that like gets into the pores so when you come out of the gate making your first feature length stuff like yeah realism like really sink my teeth into that
1: yeah, there was something about like, you know, obviously before the 90s, there's no shortage of things from anything from French New Wave to, to exploitation movies to whatever. But in the 90s, which had a real moment, there was this sort of like the thing that was interesting about the independent film boom then is that movies that were like indie movies that were popular were antithetical to anything Hollywood would make. Like right. That is what the, the independent, the, the term independent film subbed for uh-huh. not like a Hollywood movie. <laughs> yeah wasn't just nowadays independent movie is a movie you make without a studio yeah yeah then it was that but it was also its own genre which is to say it will not have an ending that you are going to be satisfied <laughs> yeah. with it will be more ambiguous than you are comfortable with it will have characters that are not defined in a way that you will know how to feel about mm-hmm. them and it could be very subversive with its sex and violence and, and themes and and like cultural ideas and things like that and nowadays again an independent film is not necessarily seen as that anymore mm-hmm. it's just kind of made inexpensively. I mean, um, and in many ways, those independent movies were essentially just B movies, but they they were less mimicking. B movies typically mimicked Hollywood movies in a lesser way, Mm -hmm. whereas the independent film boom of the 90s was was really going the opposite direction. It was like the voices that were coming out of that were voices that couldn't come out of the Hollywood system. Mm -hmm. And that was very exciting. And then probably somewhere in the mid 2000s, around the time of Trigger Man and all the remakes you were talking about something happened where independent films could be sold at film festivals for a fortune.
0: Uh uh Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh.
1: And independent films started to be these counter-cultural, bizarre, indie things. And also, inexpensive movies with movie stars in them to be able to flip at a film festival.
0: Well, that was something I that gets into something that it, it's exactly what I wanted to get into with sort of like the arc of, of your work, which is there's, you, we, you know, we start, we're talking about this boom in the 1990s and then we move into like, as the aughts are ending, we start getting into the early tens where there becomes, it seems like, another opportunity, at least, at the very least, if not a boom, a bubble, of indepe- a desire for independent genre cinema that I think that I, I, I can kind of put it into like the VHS bucket because of... you. You, uh, Adam Wingard, uh, David Bruckner, the Radio Silence filmmakers, Timo Chianto even, coming out from this anthology series at the same time as like your additional features were coming out things like the innkeepers things like house of the devil and i wanted to hear from you about what what were those confluence of circumstances that suddenly made this thing you had been doing now a cachet and that was that created the environment in which you could become part of this like your own part of next new wave of filmmakers
1: i don't know i think part of it was the rise of like vod Not necessarily anything that anyone's really that excited to be associated with, like you know. It's like, I mean, because House of the Devil, for instance, was other than the movie Bubble from Steven Soderbergh, uh-huh. which was also by Magnolia, uh, which is House of the Devil was Magnet, which is part of Magnolia. That was the first time I knew what VOD was, oh, okay. and House of the Devil was a movie that was very, very early on being on VOD, okay. and it was very great for that film because you know on your cable provider comcast whoever it was is what vod was it wasn't i what that didn't exist it wasn't amazon it was like oh it's on my cable box Mm -hmm. and i can rent this movie and that was very new and that was something that hdnet and magnolia was were really ahead on Mm. and i was confused by it i mean it was like paper was what it felt like (laughs) i was like but what was really great for house of the devil and and went a long way because house of the devil was certainly like a niche culty thing in theaters Mm -hmm. but it went a very long way on vod because when you went to that section on your TV, there wasn't a lot there. Yeah. But like nowadays, if you were to say, well, let's see what's on VOD," you have to go through <laughs> Transformers.
0: The Eternal Scroll.
1: Poetry, like every Marvel, movie. you're just never going to find House of the Devil yeah. because it's so buried beneath gargantuan movie star driven like Hollywood affair. And that's not to knock that stuff. It's just to say that, like, of course, that stuff's from. Yeah, Center. of
0: course. But. Lucky McKee Not was posting the other day on Twitter because he has his movie The Old Man coming out and he was like, oh, the old man's taking the bronze. It was like iTunes trailer list and it was like The Fablemans and something else from Tiff and then his movie. And it was like, yeah, that's a big fucking deal to see that because there yeah. are the layers. Now there's the layers on VOD to like find the little movie that's going to benefit more from VOD than something obviously like The Fablemans is going to.
1: Yeah, and the difference between say VOD and the video store is that the video store browsing was associated with it. Yeah, and scrolling on VOD is not the same as browsing.
0: No, it doesn't have that real same tactile satisfaction. If you
1: are not in the first page or so, you are very likely not to be seen. So, for House of the Devil, for instance, we were uh, it was the very great poster. As soon as you hit VOD, it was like advertised at you. So it went a long way for us and that rolled into the innkeepers very successfully and VHS also magnet, same company. Um, and th- as that was growing, I think that that just helped people find it. Yeah. And they found it as a, as a alternative to something else. And now it's, it's, it's harder, you know, it's, then it was hard to have an independent movie in movie theaters. Now there are less movie theaters, <laughs> for it, but now there's even less space on VOD. I mean, there's more space, meaning it's infinite, it's infinite. but there's less space to be in the, in the uh, main page conversation yeah. so because we're now competing with e- everything and there we weren't really competing we were in our own little niche and so i think that helped carve it out and i think in the like the bubble of the film world rolling out after like mumblecore was terrible name but was probably one of the last <laughs> genuine right like movements within independent films because that that kind of group of people that get associated with that we're really making those movies regardless of their commercial appeal mm-hmm. because I, we all worked on each other's movies just as something to do on a weekend, mm-hmm. not because we're going to go take it to a film festival and it was going to be make us a star or because we were, this was going to show the world that we could make a Marvel movie. It was just because we didn't have anything else to do. Yeah. We had a cool idea for a movie. Do you mind coming to help hold the boom? Yeah. And, and that was a really spirited thing of people who just love making movies and were using this inexpensive technology to do it. And there was an association with that a little bit in some of the the horror as well. Mm-hmm. It was like, People were like, well, you could just as an extension to jump off the bad taste of it all. If you saw somebody like the Duplass brothers or or Joe Swanberg or someone making a movie for five thousand dollars, if you said, oh, I can't make my movie. It's like, well, bullshit. Yeah. Like you you could you could do it. You know, you could you just aren't doing it because maybe you can't picture your movie in such a way or be afraid that it won't work out. Mm -hmm. And there was a group of people who were just willing to do it regardless. And I think that that showed specifically in VHS. I mean, Radio Silence and those guys, I mean, they were making stuff and putting on YouTube and doing all the effects themselves. And they were like wonderkins as far as talent. Um, Bruckner was in Atlanta doing that. He had made this part of the signal and all that. And he was a very self-sufficient kind of person. Wingard the same. Uh, He had come up making a bunch of movies all by himself. And I had as well. And so it it was really just a lot of like sort of homegrown, Mm -hmm. you know, we don't need a lot of help kind of talent, I guess.
0: We're going to take a quick break. But when we get back, there will be more with Ty West about X... Pearl and where he is on his Peter Jackson directorial trajectory. Then I will have one quick thing before I go. I know it's Halloween season, guys, but did you see the trailer for Shotgun Wedding? Outstanding stuff. We're going to get to that uh, next J-Lo treasure in the one quick thing. So stick around.
1: Hello, Dreamers. This is Evelyn Denton, CEO of the only world-class, fully immersive theme resort, Steeplechase. You know, I've been seeing more and more reports on the blogs that our beloved park simply isn't safe anymore. Murder them? I'm gonna wreck it. They say they got mugged by brigands in the fantasy kingdom of Ephemera or hijacked by space pirates in Infinitum. I mean, I could have a knife. My papa said that I needed to do a crime. Friends, I'm here to reassure you that it's all part of the show. These criminals were really just overzealous staff trying to make things a little more magical for our guests. We're just as safe as we've always been. This isn't a county fair, dreamers. This is Steeplechase. The
0: Adventure Zone.
1: Every Thursday at MaximumFun.org. Since the dawn of time, man has dreamed of bringing life back from the dead. From Orpheus and Eurydice to Frankenstein's monster, resurrection has long been merely the stuff of myth, fiction, and fairy tale. Until now. Actually, we still can't bring people back from the dead. That would be crazy, but the Dead Pilot Society podcast has found a way to resurrect great dead comedy pilots from Hollywood's finest writers. Every month, Dead Pilot Society brings you a reading of a comedy pilot that was sold and developed but never produced, performed by the funniest actors from film and television. How does Dead Pilot Society achieve this miracle? The answer can only be found at MaximumFun.org.
0: Welcome back to Feeling Seen, where I have been talking with director Ty West. Ty's adventures in filmmaking were inspired by Peter Jackson's DIY debut, Bad Taste, in which Jackson played multiple roles himself. Fast forward to this year, where Ty has made both X and Pearl with A24, and that trilogy will soon round out with a film called Maxine. So let's get back to it with Ty West. I'm not in that. I don't make a habit of like finding people's old quotes and like bringing them up to them, but I think in specifically the case of X, and then I think from what it seems like might be going on in Maxine, I was reading an interview magazine interview with you from 2009 where you uh, said, I don't like being known as a horror director because it's like being in the porn industry. It's tough to break out and be taken seriously. And I only bring that up because I feel like of the one-to-one relevance of bringing X into the world, which feels like it has even that ethos stringing through it of these film, this this particular filmmaker, like the director who wants to make a good dirty movie, teaming up with these pornographers to prove that he can make high art out of what people consider the lowest form of screen media, most likely. And I wanted to hear from you about. Your sort of point of view as somebody who goes on to make X that co- that seems to comment on not knowingly but ends up commenting on a statement like that, where you take this thing and you're like, "I'm gonna I'm gonna make a good I'm gonna make a good dirty movie," and being at the threshold where you can do that with something like the imprimatur of a twenty four to take it out of the San Fernando Valley and make it like an art house horror picture.
1: Yeah, I mean you're probably pretty spot on. You know, I think. Uh, <laughs> You know, certainly me in teal's Nine versus me now is I'm far less um enthusiastic in my opinions and I'm uh, far less, I hope, at least like insecure in, in needing to be seen and heard a certain way and, and be taken seriously. I'm sort of like <laughs> quite comfortable just being, you know, hanging out with my dog. And, you know, I think, but but the, the stigmatism of anything like that is very sure. true. There is a certain element of like, you know, limiting people by defining them a certain way is, is just a thing that we do. Generally speaking, mm-hmm. we like to put people in boxes. It's a stupid thing we do. I think most people would think it was stupid, but we do it anyway. We do it anyway, yeah. So I think, yeah, sure. I think a lot of people who made horror movies are probably like it's nice to be known as a horror movie and it's nice to have horror fans but it's also nice just to be thought of as a filmmaker, a filmmaker because yeah. what if you don't, don't want to make a horror movie tomorrow and then you're seen as someone who can't do that then this then is you sort go of, make
0: In a Valley of Violence and it's fucking great
1: you know, that's, this is the thing is that you have to kind of not start over but you have to risk um, whatever wind is at your sails you have to risk no longer having yeah. that I think that's, that's a, a daunting idea I suppose um, but you know, like if I want to turn around after these movies and just make a straight comedy or a romantic comedy or something like that, that's what's actually been so great for me about doing television is mm-hmm. I like did 17 episodes of television and and some of them were horror, but a lot of them weren't. I mean, I did like a romantic comedy dance musical and yeah. i blast, You know. So, <laughs> yeah. I think like, yeah, I, I was always happy when like you know like the resident calls and I was like, okay, doctors who don't play by the rules, let's do this, <laughs> yeah. like.
0: I, those doctors not playing I'd like, by
1: yeah, rules I'd like, because it's it. I, I'm li- not likely going to write that myself yeah. and I don't know I have an opportunity to do this and this is a great opportunity to do that and learn from it and have that experience and so um, certainly yes that founds itself into X and RJ's character in a in a humorous way I'd like to think mm-hmm. and oh, yeah. um, I'm very tight-lipped about Maxine but there certainly is an element of the story that, that does relate back to the sort of um being stigmatized
0: yeah i like i won't i won't ask you about maxine because i too would like to be surprised and i'm not in this business to break news but i just have to say a movie in los angeles and a movie with mia goth you're already playing two of my favorite songs so um i'm bullish i'm bullish on the rest of the trilogy as i have been bullish on the first two and and in speaking of the trilogy in in how we've talked about sort of like eras of industry as you have moved through them. A running joke I have with a filmmaker friend is that the 2000s loved a very sad backstory. So like Mm -hmm. any, like so so many of the remakes that came around that time with something like a a Black Christmas, it's like Mm -hmm. uh, the House of Wax remake. It's like, let's again, two movies I love. Let's take a thing that already had like, obviously there's already a villain. Now let's give that villain a really fucked up backstory. (laughs) Like, let's put incest in there. Let's make it let's make them conjoined twins Like, it just, let's put a hat on a hat of, like, shame and trauma. And what was so uh, rejuvenating about watching X and Pearl is watching the fun of people doing bad things while still really fighting every instinct to be like, but they're, like, at the... There are certain moments in Pearl where Mia Goth delivers such rending performances that I'm like, I mean, but she's probably a good person underneath it all, and I know what she's going to do in the 1970s timeline, but I still have to sit there and be like, no, I I could fix her though. I could fix her though. And the heart that these two movies have, I find to be a a wonderful blend, a sort of blend that I've been looking for of taking the, what feels like the excess of those uh, genre films that I love of, of the 2000s and, and even sort of, sort of in their mentality and spirit, like the night the bigness of the 80s and bringing it with the like sort of mature heart that we've become more adept at or become more used to seeing, I think, in, in genre films now. To me, it makes the case for like how far we have come and how many more tools we have to move forward and be even better than we are right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think... Um... In making the movie, that I think uh, almost nothing about. I mean, yeah, you just
0: got to make, you got to get the movie made.
1: Yeah. Well, it's just, you're also just sort of like, I'm trying, I see this in my head. Let me just see if I can get it done and oh, God willing, people will like it. But um, yeah, it's a strange thing. I mean, it also, like, you know, the voice of the, the public about every topic known to man, particularly movies, is so unbelievably magnified now to where it was mm-hmm. that it's, it, 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 it seems even harder to get a lot of people to like something, mm-hmm. which is, what makes kind of X miraculous in a way for having it perceived as well as it was. Um, and, you know, there's always a conversation or a below the conversation or another level of conversation yeah. uh, for people to have that. I mean, it's not as if people weren't having conversations like that before, but it's all public now Mm -hmm. and it's all the time and if if this one doesn't work there's another layer to it and (laughs) so to think about that is like you would just spiral out of control if you were thinking about people's reactions while making a movie or what people should or where you want them to think Mm -hmm. then you're almost not even making a movie you're making some sort of like a a statement or something and Mm -hmm. then that's then you get into that's just those movies are also generally kind of a a drag as well so (laughs) I, i think with both of these movies and certainly with maxine as well like my, the real drive for me to like get up in the morning and make these movies is just like at its core, because like a, a genuine, and this is going to sound very saccharine, but like a pure. I mean, this and, is
0: a this is a podcast of sincerity, so you go yeah. for it.
1: It's a very just, like pure, like love of movies. Mm-hmm. Like I really love movies, and I like what it goes into making movies, and I like the craft of making movies. And so, where these these stories came from, and and the aesthetics of the movies came from me just being like. I want people to be able to go to the theater and see like a traditional kind of, I mean, Pearl, for instance, is like, if you go to the, I mean the Pearl has 85 minutes of wall to wall orchestral score <laughs> in 2022, it's you know what beautiful. I mean? But when you see that you are aware, you're watching a movie. You're not thinking like, Oh, I'm just learning a story or it's just plot. Or I'm, I, I was distracted and it was real. Like you are very much in a movie theater environment, watching a movie mm-hmm. that made it, it is a, it is a, a uh, piece of art and I don't say that meaning like as a judgment I mean it as in like it's not meant to seem like a documentary right
0: it's- this isn't verite this is cinema
1: no, it's meant to be like cinema in quotes i suppose whatever that means and that's where th- that's why i decided to co-make these movies is because i was like that's what i love and it's not that that doesn't exist anymore but it's fewer and far between than it used to be
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and how do you find like you know i guess it helps being established and and kind of like <laughs> never missing in in the (laughs) feature films that you've made like how do you marshal that into existence with there being sort of like structural things opposing the pursuit of like theatricality how do you as a filmmaker guard that for yourself in in pitching your movies getting them made and and, you know what is your sort of walkaway point i guess have you found where you're like no, I'm I, I'm too old. I've been here for too long and I've made too many things to compromise this thing away. What is kind of the thing that you won't compromise away when you, when you are really set on doing something?
1: Well, I took a big break from making movies to see what it was like to not make movies mm-hmm. and it's fine to not make movies. It's quite <laughs> pleasant, to be honest with you. And so um, I only want to make a movie. If A24 had said no to X, I don't think I would have made it with anybody else. Maybe no one else would have wanted mm. to make it. I wasn't really that interested in pursuing that because it just felt like and and even when I set out to make it with them, you know, when we were sort of putting the idea together and a deal and all this sort of stuff to go make this movie and all the things that you have to do, I was like, I just, look, if you just want to bail out of this at any time, just bail out. It's okay. Yeah. You know I mean? The night before we shoot, you freak out and don't want to make this movie. We'll just go home. Yeah. And like, I genuinely meant that because I was like, I only really want to do this if we're really, if we're doing it yeah. for real. I don't want to um, fight
0: you all the way if I'm going to do oh, this. I don't want
1: to do that. I don't want to, I don't want to work with people that were, have different agendas, you know, that I have a different agenda, they have a different agenda, and we're just hoping the other one won't notice or something. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's dumb, and it's something that everybody does to some extent in their life and certainly in their career, and I've done it too, sure. where you just sort of know, like, we're not really on the same page, but there's something in it for both of us mm-hmm. to move forward with this, and there's no free lunch. Like, you just – it's you end up you know finding conflict in something that makes it quite unpleasant and I just don't really want to work that way anymore so for me Mm -hmm. I tend to write everything I do completely on spec I don't I won't sell anything to anybody I won't sell a pitch I won't do anything like that I'll just write the script and I'll send it to you and if you don't like it don't make it Mm -hmm. and if you do like it let's make it but let's make what this is Mm -hmm. you know and let's make it the way that like you know, I want to do it and whatnot. And if that means it has to be made a little bit smaller, it has to be made, you know, s- a little bit, you know, outside of the lines or whatever. Then that's I can't complain mm-hmm. that I'm not. It's not a hundred million dollar studio movie. It's <laughs> like I know I didn't sign up for that. And so I think you just have to be willing to to understand the like um, I guess sandbox sandbox you're going to play in, and and not complain that. And going back to my st- stupid immature quote from 2009. <laughs> You just can't you can't complain about what you're doing because you're doing it mm-hmm. you could not do it you know what i mean like to say to myself in 2009 like go make a western yeah You know what I mean? if you don't want to make harvest go make a western <laughs> will it be hard to do that yes yes it will be very hard and if you wanted to make like a rom-com it will be harder yeah. you
0: know?
1: <laughs> so, but if you want to do it like shut up and do it don't say that that, it, that you can't do it it's just that it's going to be harder to do it and so um yeah, everything's hard. It's right, everything's like, like it's going to be hard to make
0: an X horror movie you're going to make too. So you might yeah. as well make the fucking Western. That
1: very hard. Pearl was hard. X was very hard. Like, you know, I had to really think about wanting to do it because it, it was hard to do. And so I think, yeah, I, I, it's not so much a walkaway point as far as like, what's the even walk forward point,
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah. which is just to really want to do it.
0: Well, I guess my, my, my last, my, my wrap up question to you then would be with, time and experience behind you with the most minimal of resources to a uh, a 24 trilogy uh, perhaps all coming out within i don't know 18 months of each other i don't i have no idea but could be that uh and with those boundaries in place that you forged over time and with the, the work ethic as you have put it together to know that this is how it preserves you and allows you to be happy in your career what is the next swing that is the walk forward thing that you think about like you know do y- is it your is it time for you're the frighteners is it time for your fellowship trilogy like what is the thing that gets you that like back of your mind even it's like this is a thing i walk forward for because otherwise i'm just gonna walk away if i have to feel dissatisfied with the process what's what animates you now then
1: mm I don't know, I'm trying to think of how to keep the Peter analogy and Peter Jackson analogy going, but yeah, I think... I knows. am doing um, it. I know, well done. Um, but uh, maybe I'll do my Meet the Feebles. Um, <laughs> I think that he's weird. I mean, I went to New Zealand and I'm making a trilogy, which is just sort of the most New Zealand thing. <laughs> you can
0: they have. only um, let you. You walk in the door, it's a trilogy, no, otherwise don't come.
1: Brought up many times, they were very prepared for when we said we're going to keep making movies. They were like, well, we know how to do that. <laughs> I don't know i think for me at the moment in my life like being able to write and direct and and at, like just to do the movies that i want to do yeah. and have them be you know my favorite movies are the movies like when you see the movie you can tell who made it
0: mm-hmm.
1: if you see five minutes of a coen brothers movie you can guess that it's them if you see five minutes of a terry Gilliam movie you can guess it is them spielberg tarantino all these sort of people you can feel it yeah and you can't explain it but you can feel it um that's always been the 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 like the pedestal to me mm-hmm. of like what what great, great, great filmmaking is. Not that there aren't great movies that aren't that, sure. but that to me is something that's like, oh, wow, this person doesn't exist and this movie can't exist. Mm-hmm. I think that it's not that I aspire to do that, but that's what I just kind of want to keep trudging forward doing is something that it's like, and I obviously, it's not lost on me, slow burn and all these things. I hear what everybody says is like, you can kind of, I think, sense that I made, you know, without me, there is no Pearl, mm-hmm. I think. And I think that I'd like to just try to keep doing things like that. And A24 has been uh, like unbelievably great to work with and, and i would love to keep working with them as, as long as possible because it's been um, a real pleasure i think for both of us and i love to hear that as far as going you know beyond that or or whatever comes after maxine I, I certainly have some ideas and some things that are you know the snowballs are slowly rolling and whatever but i think at the end of the day like if it doesn't feel like i can do it clearly and have a good time doing it and and, and ex- express myself and 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 achieve what I'm trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. I don't outside of an enormous amount of money, like, you know, yeah. like, freakish, like, you know, everyone hates me because the deal was so insane. Jeff Bezos gave me all his money. To make. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, I can buy my own rocket ship to the yeah. fucking moon. Yeah. Yeah. And I,
1: yeah. Like outside of that, it's a little bit like, ah, it's best to just kind of keep doing what you love to do mm-hmm. rather than look at an opportunity because someone says, well, this will be good for you because of a reason that at the end of the day, you don't really care about, mm-hmm. you know, so,
0: well, I, uh, I feel like you've heard this a lot of times this year, which is that you have made two of my favorite movies of 2022. And I am so uh, excitedly looking forward to Maxine. And uh, I like your whole career, Ty. So I, I really appreciate you. Thank you uh, very much for taking the time and sitting with me today. I really appreciate it.
1: Happy to do it. I appreciate it. Thank you for the kind words. We work very hard on X and Pearl. And it's a very strange thing to make two movies at the same time and to have them out secretly in the same year and, and to have them been so warmly received is um, after spending a lot of time not making movies, it's been uh, I it couldn't have gone much better. So it's been a it's been a difficultly challenging, exhausting year. <laughs> But as fulfilling as anything I've experienced. So um, I'm, I'm happy to just get back to work on Maxine and, and hopefully keep the, keep the snowball rolling.
0: Yeah, and then you can get that amnesia and movie making can be the best thing all over again. Very true. <laughs> well, I hope your dog had a very nice time.
1: She's sound asleep, doesn't care at all. Perfect, perfect. You just cannot be bothered.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much to Ty West. What a treat to have him on. I've been watching his stuff for so long. it's it's nuts to it's nuts to finally get to talk to him and to really review uh, just how consistently good that guy is. Uh, what what a talent. Ty West I think he's going places. Pearl is in theaters now. You can watch X at home on your VOD platform of choice and Maxine spelled with three X's. For Our Girl is coming soon. It's Mia Goth season, everybody. And we are feasting! If your interest was piqued and you want to check out Peter Jackson's Bad Taste, it is also streaming on house favorite Tubi, the official channel of the Disaster Girls podcast, Tubi. And now, one quick thing before I go. what a I feel like 2022 has been a real good year for movies, you guys. Um, and... It is so good to see Jennifer Lopez doubling down in this one year with two new romantic comedies. We have missed her so much. It was Marry Me with Owen Wilson earlier in the year with um a soundtrack that is maybe one of the best JLo albums that's ever come out, turns out. Um, and that was charming as hell. And now there is Shotgun Wedding coming out with You know what? A low key, a low key quiet fave of mine. uh, I think maybe the actor that has appeared in the most Transformers movies in the franchise, Josh Duhamel. Secret Transformers franchise uh, anchor star, Josh Duhamel starts out standard enough we've got jennifer coolidge in a in a in a mom role in a in a bridal party mom role you can't go wrong starting out with that and then like it looks like tropical destination like they're they're excited they're getting married they're being sexy but then like it gets closer to the wedding and it's like oh my god am i having doubts oh no and then you're like Who, what boyfriend of the past is going to come out and ruin everything? And you're like, it's Lenny Kravitz? So you're like, you're seeing the ways in which this is like so many rom-coms you've watched, but you're just very happy to see Jennifer Lopez doing it. And then everything turns on a dime and the trailer becomes like a full tilt action movie where uh, militarized bad guys storm the wedding and suddenly it's like, so it's guns, and it's fight choreography, and it's Jennifer Lopez and Josh Duhamel like having to fight their way to survival as people who are extremely not trained to fight anyone, and I'm assuming throughout the course of the movie becoming even more bonded and resolved to one another in their commitment, and that will uh, handle the doubts that any one of them might have been having going into the ceremony, but in the meantime... We're gonna watch, I think, Jennifer Lopez, like, kill bad guys with a cake knife while wearing a wedding dress, and Jennifer Coolidge is gonna carry a big gun, and it's, and then, guys, you know it's real. You know it's real when the song I'll Be by Edwin McCain shows up in this trailer, and then it's, you know how songs get, like, trailer edits? Jordan Peele has, like, made a whole... Medium out of like doing very good, like chopped and screwed horror remixes of like popular songs of R and B songs in his trailers to really get you in the in the mood. This one becomes like an action trailer remix of Edwin McCain's Al B, and in the trailer alone, we see that <laughs> crescendoing to the point where uh many of the wedding attendees looking like they've been through hell and come back all standing together and singing I'll be in unison? I'll be, you guys. You all know it. Even if you don't think you know it, if you heard this song start to play, you would be like, oh yeah, the song with Love's Suicide as a lyric. Like, oh yeah, I know this chorus. And you you would, I, I would say instinctually, your body would take over and you would start like hitting those ascendant notes in the chorus of I'll Be Your Crying Shoulder. This is one of my favorite karaoke songs of all time. I just, literally weeks ago, just sang this at a goddamn wedding in which everyone came together in a group slow dance and sang the song together. We basically lived out a sequence from the movie Shotgun Wedding that we didn't know existed yet. So this could not have hit more buttons for me. And I think this is a great... This looks like it is a great... If you want to have a fun double feature twist on the rom-com night uh, from 2022, watch The Lost City. Go back and watch The Lost City with Channing Tatum and Daniel Radcliffe and Sandra Bullock from earlier this year. And then get yourself all prepped and ready to go to the theater and watch Shotgun Wedding. Because I, this is... This is the kind of rom-com excitement I want to see. I want to see rom-coms turned into shoot-em-up movies. Rom-coms should have more things exploding. That is how you get people to the cinema for romantic comedies. You blow shit up, and you do something crazy, and you give Jennifer Coolidge a gun. And I'm not saying I'll be is what gets people to the theaters, but I am saying it's what gets me there. So... What a great year! Two action-rom comedies, two Jennifer Lopez romantic comedies. It can't get any better. It's been a banner year for horror, but guess what? It's been a banner year for the romantic comedy, too. Um, so that's let's go off on that positive note. And then, uh, I know I, I already just talked about it, but maybe next week we'll get into a little bit of Hellraiser, because guys i've seen it It's good uh but that that's our show for now there you go tease you got to show for the next episode that is our show you can follow us on twitter at feeling or send us an email at feeling scene at maximum fun.org if you want to follow me i'm jord crew on twitter our theme music is by andrew Epen. this show is produced by marissa flaxbart our senior producers are kevin ferguson and laura swisher and this is a production of maximum fun